Hello, and welcome to the You Go Girl podcast. My name is Erin Chapman, and I'll be your host as each week we interview a Canadian woman who has excelled in sport so she can share her story and inspire more girls and women to get up and get active. You Go Girl! Welcome back to another episode of the You Go Girl podcast. Today I have Maria Giorlando with me, and we're going to start our topic today with talking about soccer. Hi, Maria. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Erin. Thank you. And hi, all listeners of the You Go Girl podcast. I'm happy to be here. All right, let's kick it off. And can you tell me about your involvement in soccer? I love it. Getting right into it. Yes. So, Honestly, this year kind of marks my 20th year playing soccer. I started at the tender age of five years old because my dad just is a huge soccer fan. He grew up playing and he knew all of his kids, whether they liked it or not, were going to start. So I started in the Timbits League at my local soccer club and grew from there. And my career of 20 years has been with the you know, now women's teams, competitive, travel, school, recreational. And now I mostly play co-ed with my boyfriend. We organize a team indoors and do it that way just to kind of still maintain it. Like I don't plan on going professionally with it at all. Unfortunately, that ship has kind of sailed, but it's still a part of my life and it's still a part of who I am. And I, any chance I can, I do still try to exercise my, my skill in the sport. Since you started soccer at such a young age, what was it like having that foundation of a sport to be with you as you grew up? It was always something that I looked forward to. I just, I knew no matter whatever was going on with, you know, when I was younger, whether it was school or family stuff. And then as I got older, just life stuff, work, I always look forward to going to soccer because nothing else mattered. It was like I got to focus in, zone in on playing with my team, focused on scoring goals and winning a game. And you, I, I just wasn't able to focus on any other problems or any other to-do list that I had because I was going to get to go and exercise and kick a ball around and let out that energy. So I always say it kept me very organized and disciplined because I find that when you have that extracurricular activity, it teaches you a sense of, you know, time management. It teaches you about leadership and showing up for a team as well. So those values just stuck with me in all areas of my life. But truly, it was just something that brought out a side of me that I, I can't do in my everyday life. It just allowed me to be energized and to be to be a competitor which is what I say I am. I'm a competitor at heart. Mm -hmm. And since soccer is such a team sport, you play co-ed now, what was the difference between playing with all women, I guess, in your Timbits league, uh, transitioning to how you play co-ed now? I don't, I love both of them. I think that one thing was that, especially playing with, with the guys now, you know, everyone, everyone's playing for fun. Like, like I said, no one's going professional. So it was more important for all of us to compete, but not compete so heavily that we're going to injure ourselves or that we're going to get in a fight. So I just found that playing women's sports, we're all just a little bit more catty with each other. But all of a sudden now, when you have the mix of the two, um, like men and women playing together, it's like, we, we don't have that same intense desire to win. We all want to win. We all want to do well, but we all want to be safe and we want to keep it fun. Um, I feel like a lot of women over the years I saw stop playing because they lost that fun in it. And I never want that to happen with me. But I love playing with the guys because it just makes me be more competitive 
than I would be if I was just, you know, going to the gym on my own or just playing with a group of women, just because the guys are a little bit more naturally skilled in some areas. So it's, it's fun to keep up with them in that way. And overall, like I said, we're there to play our sport. We all have a passion for it and we, we want to make sure that we keep it fun and safe for each other. So while yes, there are some guys who maybe take it a little bit easier on us, it's kind of fun to show that, Hey, us as girls, like we're not here because we want you to take it easy on us. We want to play and we want to be competitive. So like give us your best shot. And like, I want to prove that you can't get past me when you're doing your best, not just because you didn't try your best. Oh yeah. If, if there is a girl who is thinking about quitting a sport because she has lost that fun, what would you say to her? That's very, a very unique question. I would probably say find a way to do it in a different way because typically why it's not fun is usually because of either an organization or a person. Like it's not the sport that is stopping you from playing because the sport is the sport. That's how it is. There's, it's a game, there are rules and there are players in it. So if the way that you're going about doing it kind of lost that spark for you, find another league to join. Find if you were playing competitive, try recreational. If outdoor was just, you know, maybe not happening anymore, or you were finding it difficult to manage that, try an indoor team because it's a completely different world going from outdoor to indoor. Find a way to switch it up and to keep it exciting because you do still love it. And trust me, when you go five, 10 years out of it, and then you want to go back, you just, you lose it so much. You lose the skill, you lose the energy and the drive. So if you can maintain playing for as long as you can, even if it's once a week, even if it's once a month, keep doing that. And maybe that's just through like you playing by yourself and just reminding yourself that it's part of who you are. It's ingrained in your spirit. And that it's truly like, in all honesty, if you, if you need to take time off, I understand, but just keep it to that. Don't make it a retiring type thing. Go back to it because it'll, it'll continue to provide that value in your life that it has before. Mm-hmm. The sport is always there. I took a break from dance and I went back to it and I'm so glad I did. It's always mm-hmm. there for you. Honestly, it is. And you know what? And that's a great thing. Like try a different sport while you take time off of your main sport. Um, just, just to kind of keep you active in that way, if anything. Exactly. So because you play now with boys, do you think it was important that you started off in a team with all girls growing up? Or do you think that it doesn't matter if a girl starts off in sport, co-ed or single gendered? So back in the Timbits days, we were all together. It was boys, girls, because that was just the league then. So I want to say it was around maybe when I was 10 years old that we transitioned to the all women's team and the all males teams. And so about five years playing with both boys and girls. And then I even remember maybe a little bit in school playing with the guys. I do. I think it's important to have the option to do both because there is a different level of skill and competition and strength and drive between the men and women. I know some probably don't want to hear that, but there is. And I found it completely okay to be on an all women's team once I 
what realized that I wanted to to keep pursuing it a little bit more long term, especially when it came to travel days, because when you travel, I don't know if you travel for your competitions, but you typically spend a weekend in a hotel and you get to bond with your teammates. So it just seemed a little bit more appropriate that we were with all women and we could all women we were girls like younger girls at the time but you know we could play around as young girls and be able to bond in that like sisterly team kind of way whereas with the guys it just you don't ever really get that sense of like team bonding and then you know once you do hit your adolescent age the the dynamic between boys and girls does change and i think that that probably would have been distracting had i continued that way so i'm really glad that I got to focus on it being a sport. Like I said, it, it was something I look forward to that I wasn't concerned of like boys or anything being involved. I was able to go and be a competitor in my sport. And I think that's truly the difference. And again, now being an adult, getting to go play with the guys, again, they're just, I'm a little bit past that age of realizing like, oh, the guys are better or they're this or they're that. Like we're not like I said, we're all past the age. We're not going competitive. It allows us to play together and be all on the same playing field, if that makes sense. Yeah. A level playing field for the mind. Literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Maria, you've had two decades in the sport. Can you tell me some of your top soccer highlights? If you can okay. narrow it down. I wish that I could have like a screen play of like Maria's top soccer moments. There there probably aren't that many. But one that I really wanted to mention was that I remember I want to say I must have been like 13 or 14 years old. Um, for the first maybe seven or eight years, my dad coached me in soccer. So he he grew up with me playing as well. He saw me grow. He coached the teams and all of that. So we had one league that we were in. It was just a recreational league. But to us, it's it's like it mean it means everything, even though it's rec. And we were in the semifinals, and my team had eight girls. So if you know soccer, you typically have eleven girls on the field. And there's been this long-term debate on in a recreational league, if the other team has less players, do you play down? Like, do you play with eight players, or do you allow all the girls who showed up on your team to play and play the full eleven? 11 on the field. So that's been a forever debate. And I don't know that we're ever really going to get to the bottom of it because no, no, you don't want to completely demolish the other team because you have more players, but you also should get, give your, your players the chance to play. They showed up. So long story short, we had eight girls on the field for semifinals and this other coach played up. He played the full 11 and it was a really intense game because we were not giving up. Like these eight girls showed up to play on, on this field. And at the end of that game, our team ended up winning and we were like fiery the whole time. It was a really great game to watch. I mean, at least that's what I can remember, but we just did not stop. And it put us into the finals, which ended up being against this team again. And again, this coach did not play down. So that meant that us eight girls, our drive, our ambition, were competing against 11, like three extra girls on the field, and we beat them out. Then we go to the finals, and we're playing against the same team. And I think that was like the next day, because you typically have a tournament over a weekend. And again, we we knew we had that like fire motivation, that adrenaline, because we knew that we just beat this team, even though they had 11 on the field. And we knew that that's what we were up against again. So we prepared ourselves for that. And we, again, each of those girls did not give up. 
And unfortunately, that game we lost, we didn't win that tournament, but we only lost one nothing. Like there are some teams that will demolish you if you even have one person away and we all showed up and that just goes to show when you play as a team it doesn't matter if you are down three people you can show up and make up for those three people being gone by just having that connection and that ability to play with one another it's so much it was such a great bonding experience you know even though we didn't win that is a win in itself that we did not just let them have that win in that tournament and I think that's a really great message for anyone in any team. Don't ever consider it a loss until the end of the game, because you would be so surprised how you're able to show up and play and compete, even if you're if you're down and the odds are against you. It, it doesn't matter. It's truly about how you connect with your team and how you show up in that game. So don't ever give up. Don't ever assume that it's a loss in the beginning. And those that's just truly like the best story to hear. And it just empowers me to remember, even if you have a team that you're up against that has, you know, you always have like the A players, like the top of the top does not mean that that's going to be the game that they win. Maybe that's just the one where everything just kind of happens on your side. So always show up and play the game as if like it's it's anyone's win. I love that story. I know. I can and it's feel so energy through my body. Woo. I'm like, I'm a hyper right now. I want to go for a run or something, but always though. And even though, again, it was recreational, right? It wasn't travel. It wasn't for anything. Like it was probably for one of those little like ribbons that just said first place, but it meant everything. And the story still means everything to me too. It doesn't have to be for the world championship title for it to be a moment for you. Um, with the team, you mentioned that connection. How do you make that synergy within a team? Because you all have to work together at the end of the day to stop goals and score goals. How do you make that connection with the rest of the people on your team? Yes. And back then it was a little bit different because since, like I said, we were in rec, the teams changed every year. So it's, it's kind of like you only have that one season to really bond with your team. And I think it was just, you know, a little bit of the fact that our personalities mixed well together and also just a little bit of luck because it could have been the next weekend that one of those girls had something going on in her life and she wasn't fully present there to play and she wasn't on her game. And that could have made it completely different. But the fact that each one of these girls just had the, just had that like, foundation of when you show up everything else you forget about it and you show up and play we all had that same level of passion and you know respect for one another that we wanted to do well and we wanted it to be to be a one of those like good stories one of those good memories i i don't know if that even really answers it but i think i think it was just honestly a little bit of luck that we all got along well together because i can't really say if i had seven other girls on that field with me that it would have had the same outcome. So I think it was just that year, we all meshed really well together. Like I still know some of the girls, I still talk to them. And I think that it's just reminding yourself to show up every game, play your best and expect the same from your team. Because that's, that's really one thing about team sports. It's not just about you. If you don't show up, you're letting down your team. And I think we all have that mentality ingrained in us since we'd started playing. Exactly.
You've mm -hmm. mentioned your father a few times um, and his involvement in soccer. What was it like for you growing up have a having a parent who was so involved in your sporting life? I loved it. I was such a little daddy's girl, honestly. So it felt so comforting having him coach me, having him grow up and kind of have have our team come together because he was such a great leader and he was so passionate. And he also, you know, was probably a little bit harder on me, you know, because uh, obviously he's my dad and he, he would know when I was getting like too fired up or when I wasn't playing my best, like he would completely call me out, which is what I needed. You know, I don't know that another coach would have given me that same tough love that he did. And unfortunately it did come to a point in time where I said, I'm like, you know what, dad, I think I want someone else to coach me just because one coach can only get you so far in your game and it's valuable to have other coaches. So we did get to that point and I think, I think it really just strengthened our bond as a father and a daughter. And it, it helped me throughout the rest of my soccer career. Cause there were times when I wanted to quit other teams just because nothing seemed to be going right. And he would just sit me down and he, he would say, you know, you're not a quitter. Like you've just never quit. Like you're at least going to try it out. And if it's just not meant to be okay, you'll, you'll do what's best for you. But having him kind of see me grow up and play, he understands the way I think, the way I am, the way I move. And I, I feel like it was, it was probably the best way to start off for me. And it, it kept, it kept that good foundation in my mind moving forward. Whereas had I had a mix of different coaches, I might have not had that same strong mental foundation that he instilled in me. So I'm really happy. He still coaches today. He actually decided to kind of take it on a little bit more professionally. And I, I can see him coaching at the university level soon. So when people are passionate about what they do, it, it comes across so much stronger. And so clearly my dad was more passionate than any other coach that I had to pursue it this long and this far. So I'm very, very grateful. And I know that he, he impacted a lot of the other, the other players too, just by his natural drive and passion for the sport. Exactly. A coach has the power to really lift someone up and make them love the sport even more than they already do. And his words of encouragement about sticking something out and giving it a try go even beyond sports, literally for anything. Just give it a try because you never know what may come out of it. Exactly. And I've like, I've never left a team. The, that, that's why I'm going to say I did leave one team and it wasn't the fact that again, it wasn't the sport. It was the coach. It was the coach I was leaving, not the team. And that, that hurts and that sucks to do. And that was the time that my dad said, just try it out, stick it out. But I, I did. And I was like, this is not what's best for me. So that was when I chose to leave, but I didn't quit. You know what I mean? It wasn't like that. And that just goes back to the question that you had before, right? People don't walk away from the sport. The sport will always be the sport. It's usually the players in the sport or the coaches or referees that we walk away from. So find a way to do it in a different way that still keeps that passion for you. Yeah. And you made a choice for your own mental well-being that you realized it wasn't for you and you weren't going to stick with something that wasn't serving your higher purpose. Exactly. Mm -hmm. so okay. I'm very gra grateful for dad. Aww. Shout out to dad. <laughs> I hope he listens to this and tears up. He will. But hearing mm -hmm. all these great words. I'm going to switch gears for a second. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously soccer is a running sport and you told me a really cool running fact about yourself that you've completed a half marathon, which is incredible. Can you tell me about why you did that and a bit of your experiences. Yes, I've hated running my entire life. I love doing the short distance sprints, 
but that's different in soccer because you can stop at a certain point and kind of catch your breath. So I've never liked track or cross country, nothing like that. And it was about a year and a half ago that I signed up for my first 5k. And I remember thinking for that year, my bucket list goal was to just run a race of some kind. So I signed me and my boyfriend, Carlos up. And I remember thinking that I was training for it by, you know, doing these small runs on the side. Like some people can probably just walk out the door and do a 5k, but this is a big deal to me. And after finishing that, I think we like celebrated with donuts. Like I made it so dramatic for this 5k run. And I slowly started to realize, Hmm, like me, like that wasn't like, I, I have more in me. Like I can definitely do more, but I would never would have signed up for anything. And it wasn't until my friend Carly's 25th birthday, she posted on social media that she was running 25 kilometers for her 25th birthday. And 25 kilometers is about four kilometers more than a half marathon. So I said to her, girl, I'm going to commit to running 5k with you. That was like my limit. You know, you always have to run 5k in school. That's always just the, the highest amount. So that was always my Everest. So I said, I'll run 5k with you and then that'll be it. So she said, sure. Okay. And my boyfriend, Carlos joined me as well. And as we were running, they ran at a very slow pace. I didn't realize that because they're running 25 kilometers and because they were running much slower, not only were we able to like keep our breath going, we were actually able to talk throughout it. And once we hit the 5k mark, it wasn't just that we hit 5k. We then had to turn around and go 5k back. So me and my boyfriend ran 10 kilometers together for like the first time in my entire life. And after that, my friend Carly was like, keep, come run with me. Just, I, she was practicing for a marathon, the Toronto Scotiabank marathon, which happened last October. And she said, I just, I want someone to run with, just come with me. Well, I'll bring you on my shorter runs, like my, my eight or 10 K. And I said, sure. But when you're running eight or 10 K with someone, you start chatting with them and slowly, but surely she was like, you should sign up for the half marathon. And it was about a week later that I realized, yeah, I can totally make that work. I had work to do in Toronto anyways. And I was actually preparing to go to the Philippines for a pageant. So I figured this would be a great way to keep my motivation up physically. And I signed up for the Toronto Scotiabank half marathon. And my friend Coley, uh, my friend Carly ended up coaching me the whole way through. She made me a running plan. She told me the kind of like the shoes that I would have to go get the um, the nutrition that I would have to kind of play into. And she was that mentor and that guide for me, which really, really helped. And I would run about three or four days a week in the morning, like early in the morning. That's what worked best for me. And it, it slowly started to become a part of who I was because if I didn't get my run for the day, I, I didn't feel as accomplished. And I, I knew I was working towards something. And again, that day, I'm sure like we'll chat a little bit more about this later on, but that day of completing that half marathon again, waking up at like six o'clock in the morning, having put all of this preparation in, I, I remember questioning, am I going to be able to run the whole time? You know, is my time going to be like two and a half hours, which my goal was about two hours and 15 minutes. And am I going to get a cramp? Am I going to be able to like keep up? Am I going to just, what's going to happen? All these limiting beliefs. And I don't know what happened to me that day, but my preparation, the adrenaline, the, the hydration and the nutrition I had, I ended up running it in two hours and seven minutes. And my little legs were like sprinting at the end. I've never ran so fast for so long. 
And I just remember thinking, I've unlocked something about myself. I never knew it was possible. So if I can do this, what else can I do? And it was such an empowering experience that way. Gosh, I love it. You're going to be, you're like, should I sign up for a half marathon? And yes, Erin, you should. Honestly, because I was like you during COVID, I was like, I'll take up running. And the army race in Ottawa was doing a virtual race where you would sign up and you would just run the race on your own, but they'd send you, you know, the bib and the Mm t-shirt. And I was like, I'm doing this 5k in half an hour. And I made it a big deal. It felt like a huge accomplishment. And then I was like, okay, well, I love swimming. I love biking. Now I can run. So I'm thinking triathlon. I don't even know if that's in the cards for me at this point, but just hearing, you you know, running wasn't your thing and you took it baby step at a time and you had a strong mental game. Like I would say 95% of that was mental game. Yeah. And again, going back to it, having a good coach and a mentor that helped me along the way, because I remember she had me do different cycles of runs. So I would do a 3k, then a 5k, then a 3k, then an 8k, stuff like that. And I remember after like the very first 4k that I was like, I'm doing this, I'm running this half marathon, my first 4k, 4k that I ran. So not even five, I was cramping. I think it took me about a half hour because I had to stop so many times. My knees were uncomfortable. I was like, Carly, what is happening to me? And so she walked me through. She's like, well, you know, you said you were going to do it in the morning. You waited till the afternoon. So that probably just also messed you up a little bit. You know, you, you need to go get new shoes and you didn't eat properly because you ate like 20 minutes before all of these things. And had she not been there and I ran that 4K on my own, I would have been like, no way can I run 21.1K if this is how I ran my very first 4K trying to train. So that was essential and vital to helping me push through. Mm-hmm. Sport mm-hmm. takes a village. It really yeah. does. Mm-hmm. So can you walk me through, since we're talking about mindset now, what was going through your mind during your half marathon? So while I was running, I had the, um, I, I want to say it was the team never quit podcast playing. Have you ever listened to team never quit? No, I haven't. Okay. You're going to go listen to their podcasts with David Goggins. They have three out now okay. and yeah, write that down. Everyone write it down. You're welcome. Because as I would train, I would repeat these podcasts and the Joe Rogan experience, again, the one with David Goggins on it. So as I was, I'll kind of give a little background. As I was preparing to run the half marathon, the the weeks leading up, my friend Carly let me borrow David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me. And so David Goggins is a Navy SEAL. He's an ultra marathon runner. And that is like the shortest description that I could do because he has so much under his belt and his book can't hurt me talks about developing a calloused mind. So same way, like when you work out, you develop calluses on your hands, which make your hands stronger. We need to do the same thing with our minds. And the way that we do that is through consistently putting ourselves in an uncomfortable position to let us grow. So he talks about that with many different things because he grew up with a very, very humble beginning, I would say. And he, he talked about kind of having all the cards against him and what he had to do with becoming accountable to himself and how that led to him, you know, kind of diving into his experiences. I need you all to just go read the book. That'll be the best way. Cause I don't think I'm doing it justice right now, but long story short, he talks about now how he ran his first 100 mile 
run. Like, can you even comprehend what a hundred miles is? It's not a hundred kilometers. It's a hundred miles. Like it, it takes at least 24 hours to run. And he talked about how he thought he was going to like die at mile 70, but he pushed through and he ended up running a hundred miles and how when we as humans, we as competitors think that we are at our 100%, like we are gassed, we can't give it anymore. We're actually only at 40% of our capacity and there's still 60% left. There's still 60% that we haven't even tapped into because we don't even realize the limiting beliefs we put on ourselves. So that's the process of developing a calloused mind, breaking through that 40%, breaking through that glass ceiling that we set for ourselves and really seeing what we can accomplish. So this was what I was programming myself with leading up to my half marathon. And so as I was running, I was listening to one of the podcasts with Team Never Quit and with David Goggins. Um, it felt, I, I felt really great because that's how I was preparing. Now, no, not everyone recommends listening to things as you run, because what if you're your phone dies or you know you get disconnected and then you have nothing. Um, but I wasn't really concerned about that. I was like, I just want to have something. It's my first half marathon. Let me live. Okay. I'm going to do this. And running through the streets of Toronto and on the highways, I just remember thinking, how did I get here? Like five years ago, I was this young 20 year old insecure girl who would have never dreamt of doing this. And how am I running amongst all of these professionals and, you know, these just you know, citizens of our country who just want to run for themselves. How the heck did I get here? And with each mile and with each kilometer, I realized that I was actually getting faster. So the, my first 5K was the slowest. I think I ran it in like 32 minutes, which is quite slow. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to take me like three hours to run this. But as I kept going, I found my pace. I would take a little stop at the hydration stations and I would drink up uh, the little bit of water or energy drink and I remember thinking okay Maria like just keep your keep going slow because you don't want to cramp up you don't want to cramp up but I just didn't cramp I was listening to my podcast I was running and I started noticing that as I was getting faster I was passing other people in other heats so your heat is what time you think you might end and I put myself in the last one because I was like, I'm going to be behind everyone. I'll probably be walking. It's all good. But I realized I was passing the people in the other heats and that my little legs, I don't know what they were on. It felt like someone was pushing me. It felt like someone was behind me pushing me and I could not stop. And it just allowed me to keep picking up pace, picking up pace, picking up pace. And um, when you run, if you got your bib, you know, people can actually track your speed on an app. And I remember like thinking, people are going to think this isn't me. They're going to be like, no, Maria goes slow. Like what the heck is happening? And in the last five kilometers, I think I ran it in like 20 minutes. So from the first five kilometers to the last five, I shaved off like 10 minutes of time. And I just remember again, feeling like, okay, I never thought I could do this. Is this the 60% potential that I'm tapping into? You know, if I didn't think I could do this, what else do I think I can't do that I have to pursue now moving forward. So that was a long-winded explanation to say that everyone needs to go consume every piece of David Goggins content that there is. And at the end of that half marathon, I remember thinking, okay, I think I need to start thinking about running a marathon because the half was fun, but developing a calloused mind doesn't come from doing what you already know you can do. It comes from pushing yourself to do things you don't think you can do, right? Wow. Ooh, 
fired up. Oh my gosh. Let's go. And what was crazier, Erin? Oh my gosh. So when, when you finish your, when we were like just at the tail end of the half, you turn and then you go to the finish line and there are people cheering on either side. There's music. So as I'm running on that side, like sprinting and I'm like, yeah, I'm almost done. I've got 500 meters. You can see we were underneath one of the highways and you could see the long tunnel, the long, dark, empty, quiet tunnel where the marathoners had to keep going for the rest of the marathon. Like they had another half marathon to run. And I remember thinking, I don't want, I'm so glad I don't have to run there. I'm so glad I get to go and like cheer and finish and go eat whatever I want. And I was like, I never want to go do that. Like that's so, like that looks so dark and so gloomy and that's not fun. But then again, when I finished, I remember thinking, I think I got to go down that dark tunnel the next time. I, I can't just do this again. I know I can. And if there are other people doing that, that's what I got to do. And that's, again, developing that callous mind. You can't look at that dark tunnel and think, oh, I don't want to go there. You have to think, okay, I've got to go through that, <laughs> right? Life gave you a real life metaphor. Literally. With that dark <laughs> tunnel. I mean, it's the unknown. Who knows what's going to happen on the other side, but if the mind is willing to explore it and Hey, you've seen what's come out of challenging yourself and pushing yourself and all the great things that you've gained from it. Like that's what sports all about. You go in, you don't know what your own physical, mental capabilities are. And then you come out the other side and go, Oh my gosh, I'm so much stronger than I ever thought I could have been all because of sport. Exactly. Truly. And even though I never thought I would be a runner and I do not consider myself a runner, it's given me a whole new part of my personality and part of who I am that I wouldn't be had I not tried it. And I wouldn't, yeah, no, it's, it's truly just helped me become more me. It's helped me figure out who I want to become. And had I not enjoyed the experience, no, I wouldn't keep going because I would have said I did it. It was great, but that's it. But again, the fact that I created this this mindset or this foundation of wanting to build that callous mind, because you don't just build a callous mind for sport. When you build a callous mind, it travels and it transcends other areas of your life. So if you're having a hard day at work, relationships with friends, it's going to show up there too. So that's why we need sport to help us push and develop that. Mm -hmm. And it seems like sport is such a big part of your life. You're training that callous mind all the time. I know you're always in the gym. You have running, you have mm -hmm. soccer. Sport has brought you so much in life. Can you share me a few of the things that you've learned through being physically active? I, yes. Yeah, so I'm also a personal trainer, which is why I am always in the gym. And I've hired my own trainer because I get, again, I just realized that I only can train myself to my own ability. Whereas when someone else is pushing me, I do more than I ever expected. So that's going to be the one thing that I'm going to leave everyone with is that when you have a great coach and a great mentor, they're going to push you more than you ever think you could push yourself. Like you might think you're pushing yourself, but when someone else is next to you, it's a completely different situation. So it's taught me how valuable having mentors in your own like cheerleading section um, for your sport and for your life is beneficial to growing and developing as a person and in that specific sport. Another thing too is that sports and exercise has taught me how empowering and how strong I am as a woman. Because I remember in grade school and high school, I was never the best. Like I was decent at soccer, but I never 
grew up being like the top of my league or anything like that. I was always good, but I was very aware that there was always somebody better than me or who had more skill or who was just a little bit faster. And I, I, I didn't let it, I didn't dwell on it because I was always a good sport. I was always a good leader. And, you know, I know I'm not always going to be the best and my intention was never to be the best, but now that I'm older and I don't, I'm not that much older, but I'm older. I'm not in like, you know, those, those high school sports or anything like that. I realize that I can be the best at a different level. Like I'm not comparing myself to anyone else. So I can look at myself and say, I'm the best right now than I've ever been before. I don't have constantly people around me that I'm comparing myself to. It's more of just asking myself, you know, am I stronger today than I was yesterday? Am I doing something that I never thought I could do? Because no running a half marathon doesn't make me any faster than anyone, but it makes me faster than I was yesterday. And that's so empowering knowing that I can physically do these things for myself that I never thought I could. And now I use the term, I just want to be like a weapon. Like I want to be like a ninja who can just randomly climb things and do all these crazy things because I just straight up think it's cool. And it makes me feel really awesome. Almost like back when we were a kid and we played on monkey bars. Like I just feel like it reminds me that I'm so much stronger as a woman and as a human than I've ever been before. And how empowering is that to take through other areas of your life to not realize that I'm not only strong physically, but I'm also strong mentally. And then, you know, throw challenges my way. I've, I'm strong. I can get through anything. I think that's the really important message. So one, having people who are going to push you and train you and help you be better And then two, it's just empowering to feel that strength of yourself and feeling that self-respect, knowing that you're doing something for yourself that you never would have done before. And that each day is a success just because you're, you're trying and showing up for yourself each day. And they say empowered women empower women. And Mm -hmm. because you're giving so much back to your own body as a personal trainer, I'm sure that you're giving that 10 times to your clients to make them feel like they can be at their best. Exactly. And they always look at me and they're like, geez, Maria, like you make me feel like I can't do anything. And I said, no, you just, you're doing more than what you did yesterday. You don't have to do what I do. And I tell them, I'm like, when I'm with my trainer, it's not any easier. It's much harder because he's pushing me past my own limits. So that's what we always have to do. The process of pushing ourselves farther is never going to be easy. And even if you ask the strongest man or woman on the planet, their training isn't easy. It's still hard for them. It's just perspective and realizing that we are only competing against ourselves for how much better we can be. And it might only be for, you know, to shave an extra minute off of your time. It might only be to lift two extra pounds, but it's all for developing that strength of mind as well. I think in this episode, you've definitely talked about so many positive aspects to sport. Like even if I know I'm a physically active person, but I feel so much more motivated to go out and do even more because I'm like, Oh my gosh, I could be pushing myself to that 60%. So now that we know all the reasons why to do sport, my question to you is how can we get more young girls involved in physical activity, especially in Canada? I think that one thing that we can all do personally, again, is be the mentor that they need, be that guide that they need, because I'm really big on energy and children sense those types of things. Like they like 
kind of looking up to people and role models. And if they don't see a reason to join, they're not going to do it on their own. And unless if you are, you can be that person, that mentor, that role model to even one young person in your community, maybe it's, you know, a friend's child or a, a cousin of yours or something like that. You can be that person that motivates them to change their life. So one is being the mentor that they need, being that guide that they need. And then two, again, would be probably to encourage parents to allow kids to try out different sports, um, especially if the, the child or the, the young girl isn't asking to do it themselves, like really just encouraging them to try new things. I remember when I was in grade school, I asked, I don't know what I, why I, what possessed me to ask my dad to join this basketball camp, right? I was just always the child that was wanting to try new things, which is crazy because I am not good at basketball, but I saw this camp. I think I joined with a friend and I thought, yeah, I'll try a basketball camp. And my, my dad and my mom, even though they, they knew their girl was not going to be a basketball player by any means, still let me sign up, right? Like they paid for me to sign up and try it out knowing it was not going to yield a basketball player in the end. They supported me to do that. And that's why we need to encourage our parents to support the young girls on this journey. And if, again, if the girl is not showing interest, kind of presenting different opportunities, maybe they won't ever like badminton, but trying out a badminton camp, different things like that, just to allow them to explore that side of them that maybe they don't know exists. So that's one thing is one being the mentors to them and then encouraging the parents to help out and guide them. Right. I had my dad, I had my dad and my mom to push me, but I understand that not all parents come from a sport active family. Wow. Oh, Maria, it has been such a pleasure just listening to your stories. I feel fired up like that soccer story about that. (laughs) about that game where you guys just won and about, you know, training for the half marathon. I'm just, I'm so fired up. I hope everyone listening is fired up too. Um, Thank you so much for joining the Go Girl podcast today and sharing all your stories with us. You're welcome. I hope everyone else listening, wherever you are, that you all enjoyed it. And if you need more adrenaline burstingness after this, please message me. I just love to pump up women and help you all realize that you can do so much more than what you think. And that's what it's all about. That's all the time we have for this week on the You Go Girl podcast. Be sure to tune in every Wednesday to hear from more amazing Canadian women in sport.